Hello and welcome to The Vinyl Crawl, your weekly podcast about craft beer and records. I'm your host, Alan Miller. Uh, I've been away for a little bit. It's been probably two or three weeks since I posted, so I apologize in the delay in getting this to you, but, uh, you know, things in life happen and sometimes can't make deadlines, so that's exactly what happened. Uh, From here on out, I'm probably going to be doing every other week just because work and stuff has gotten really busy, so hopefully that's cool and uh, hope you still enjoy the show. This episode is going to be about television live at the Old Waldorf, which is a really cool live album that me and Matt Pfefferkorn and Lee Matthew talk about. Uh, We also drank a craft beer from Founders called Big Luscious, which is a really powerful imperial stout that is amazing. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit about our sponsor that we've had this season, which is Bull Moose. one really awesome thing that Bull Moose has going on on their website right now is you can pre-order the soundtrack to Stranger Things. Uh, now, all the color variants they have have already sold out, but they still have it on black vinyl, which is probably going to sound the best anyhow. So why not just pre-order it through them? It's $24.97. They'll start shipping on 1027, so October 27th, which is when it comes out for everybody. So head over to bullmoose.com and go ahead and pre-order it because you know you're going to want it anyways. It's an amazing soundtrack. So here is Matt Pfefferkorn, Lee Matthew, and myself talking about the highly experimental album from television, Live at the Old Waldorf. So we got a really interesting album to go with a really interesting beer. Yes. This mm-hmm. episode. Absolutely. Why don't you introduce the beer first, Matt? Because this came <laughs> from your personal collection. It did. It did. Um, this is the uh, Founders Big Luscious. And it's a um, Imperial Stout. Yep. And uh, it's from 2014. And it's like... Full on. And we should, I guess, flavorful. You know, you saying it's from 2014. I guess we should explain a little bit about the sort of thing where certain certain types of beer you can almost sell her for a little you while. You can, to, yeah. To and allow. I mean, most stouts, you know, you're safe. Yeah. Throwing that back. Is it? Do you think it's stuff that has less carbonation? I guess is maybe okay to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, IPAs. Also, also I feel like maybe like malt doesn't go quite as bad as just like raw hops yeah doesn't it's true <clears throat> doesn't skunk in the same way yeah. yeah you don't want to sell your ipas and stuff yeah, no. but or like your your mgd you don't want to sell her that oh no man it's best when fresh you shotgun that shit and you get it out of the house all right <laughs> <laughs> taking us off the rails already <laughs> yeah sorry we're having a serious conversation That's i just all right. took it there but yeah this stuff's great I, it is. I love it. it it's, is. It's every flavor that they say it is, and it all happens and one more. after the other when you take a sip. Yeah. Like the first sip I had of it, I felt like my head exploded. Right. Because so many flavors hit. It really matches what it's called, Big Luscious. I Big mean, Luscious. It's, yeah. Yeah. And me and Lee were both talking when we first took our our initial drinks about that we couldn't determine if it was cherry or what the fruit raspberry. Flavor. Although yeah. if we had looked at the label, the label if we had looked at the label, yeah. it's more fun to guess though, right? right. Exactly. But yeah. 
it's got that it said burnt coffee i get a little coffee flavor yeah. out of it i get um, i get lots of vanilla and some vanilla and chocolate chocolate raspberry yeah it's, it's it's all right there yeah and it's good and it's uh it's a good strong beer oh yeah like it's yeah. really strong but it's not not strong alcohol i should say no. but strong flavor but even for a stout i feel like this mouthfeel is a little i don't know more manageable yeah i don't feel like my mouth is Right. Yeah, I almost you got know. like a sour thing out of it on yeah. the initial bit. It's, like it's really drinkable for a stout. Yeah, yeah. it's it's You're fantastically not drinkable. Shaving your tongue or anything, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I I really dig it's it. It's Good beer. It's too bad they're not going to make it anymore because I think it is a solid beer. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they do the experimental thing and all that. Yeah, but it's one of those where it's great. You know, it's it's the big bottle, the twenty two ounce or the bomber. It's nice to split. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Show I would <coughs> I wouldn't want to down it by myself. No. Oh god no. Yeah. It'd be Hell an interesting drunk. morning. Um so the album we're talking about is a band we all love, television. Yep. But a really interesting album from television. Live at the old Waldorf. Live at the old Waldorf from nineteen seventy and eight. Eight. Nineteen seventy eight. So it was after was it before or after their second album came out? Um, this was, Marky Moon is this was, this was after I think, adventure. I think okay. they were touring. So. Were they touring? They, they I were guess. touring on adventure. Cause yeah. there are songs. There's a couple from adventure from on adventure. there. There's not many. There's not many songs from Marky Moon right. or adventure on there. It is a strange set list. It, it is, is a odd set list. So to give a little brief history of television, it's the, uh, I guess Richard Hell and Tom Verlaine were the main two guys to come out of television yeah. initially. They started like a garage band kind of thing that was an early predecessor to punk in a way. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah, it is punk, but it isn't punk. It's a little too, it, it was, it was the, it was a Tom Verlaine wanting to be musical and Richard Hell wanting to be punk. Right. Those two forces battling each other is what make television great. Right. Yeah. It was melodic, but yet it's aggressive. It's yeah. a, it's a structured. structured. And they also had that really sweet two guitar attack that nobody really had at the time. Yeah. Which, you know, often replicated again and again. I mean, so many of the current... <clears throat> Interpol. Wow, <clears throat> you go with Interpol? I do, yeah. I go with uh, Real Estate. Oh, really? I feel like nobody has captured that guitar, that dueling guitar, like single note lime deal quite like Real Estate has. Which real estate hmm. doesn't do it with the punk edge. That's what I say. Real estate always came across way too clean but, for me. But you know, adventure, adventure's a clean record, well, man. Richard Hell's gone on adventure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's where the cleanliness comes from. That's true. You know, that it, was what made television so great on Marky Moon was Richard Hell and Tom Verlaine mm-hmm. fighting the hell out of each other to make a record. Yeah. And then once Richard Hell left to do Richard Hell and the Void, Void Toids, Void Void Toids. Toids. and to yeah. Blink Generation, all that. I don't. I love Blink Generation. I love Adventure, but I think neither one are as strong as Marky Mm-mm. Moon. No, no. So. I mean, and Mark, I think Mark, Marky Moon. Yeah, it and it holds up amongst all those a lot better. It's still. That's the one where you're talking about going into a record store and somebody says. Hey, I just need something I haven't heard. You know, television? No. Here. Buy it. We me and you both had that experience in two thousand three, 
I, oh yeah. Yeah. That, yes. I picked yeah. up Marky yep. Moon and I literally took it to you and was like, I remember television from a documentary. Is this a good album? Because I like the song Marquee Moon, but is this a good album? You're like, it's a five-star album. I go, okay, I will purchase said album. And it's the Four Men with the Beards release oh, from yeah. early on. And <coughs> life-changing. That's a Boom. life-changer. Yeah. That, yep. that one is. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, as somebody who considers himself a punk fan, it kind of took me a while. I don't think I really knew television until... That book, um, Love Goes to Buildings on Fire. Yeah. You know that book? I've heard of it. I know I recommended it to Matt. I don't know if you ever ended up reading it. Uh, Good book. Great book. Talks about... Do you want to hear hear my theory about why it might have taken you a little bit longer? Why is that? Did you like prog rock at all? No. I think that's why. I think it (laughs) helps to have a little prog background before you jump into television. I can kind of see that. I mean, definitely with like the sprawling song structure, you know, yeah, those dueling yeah. like interlocked guitars. But it's like, I don't know, with not all that self seriousness. Correct. And, you 100%. Know. Yeah. But like, if you, I know you love The Clash. Mm-hmm. I know you've always loved The oh, Clash. Yeah, always. They were but like it, punk, punk but band the, numero uno. Right. So if the clash is punk band numero uno and then you go into television, it, it could be a little jarring. Yeah. No, because television definitely. has a lot more structure and musicality to it than some of the clash. Absolutely. Some of the clash. Some of the clash. The yeah. clash has got a lot of musicality to it too, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the Tom Verlaine, you know, just, yeah, those fucking guitar parts, man. It's like, it's almost like, I don't know, man. The the Almond Brothers parts where those t- <laughs> like Jessica, or something. But you know what I mean. No, it's, a punk, it's a punk version of Jessica. It, it really is because those two, the Almond Brothers, that was their thing. It was like two guitars locked in, and it was parallel thirds or it was parallel sixes. Period. That yeah. was every solo, and it's like, in a way, television had a similar approach to guitars. It's like they knew how it was going to go. One of them probably writes the part, and then the other one is like. All right, cool. I'm a sixth up or whatever. I'm going to assume that Verlaine was really behind the structure of it all as far as the That's two what I'd go attack. for. Yeah. yeah. Because musically, assume. he's pretty genius. Now, he never recaptured any of that oh, with yeah. solo work. No. But, or, or even just with that last with television yeah. self-titled, really. Yeah, it's like, true. But, you know, it that, like that... That Marky Moon sound, which is all over this live album, they're still. It's true. I mean, still it, doing it, that it actually is. I, I just went back and looked at the track list. It's half and half days in Marky Moon, and then covers. But, I mean, it, there's a lot of like B side stuff on there, right? Um, let's see. It opens with the Dreamer's Dream, which is adventure. Uh, which is a. I mean, let's to Venus, which is a Marky Moon. Yeah. Foxhole adventure. Uh, careful. That's adventure. Is adventure ain't that nothing? Is adventure? Little Johnny Jewel. That's, that's a B side. That's a B. Is that a? It's a B side. I think it's, it's not on. Marquee. It's a marquee B side. And then yeah, actually, Friction, Friction, Venus, and Marquee Moon are the only songs from Marquee Moon on this record. But let's see, Friction, five minutes. Marquee Moon, 15. And the first track is... Uh, first track is The Dreamer's Dream, but that one, they pull it out to a full seven. Yeah. 
It's you, a good long track. You like know, this it. is this is a a jammy live record on television's part for a band that was super tight and you know airtight, like locked in on record. On one hand, I think this live album shows them cutting loose a little bit as far as like structure goes, but I think it's really interesting comparing this live record to what was what was the name of the other one the one that was a a cassette only for a while oh yeah is it the blow up the blow up that's what it's called yeah yep i remember seeing that when you Mm -hmm. listen to the blow up the blow up is a fucking punk record it is a punk record it is a rough recording it's a punk recording (laughs) it is a raw recording it is a rough show but it's cool. What, what year is it from? Um, let me double check my facts on that. Because um, like I'm just I'm thinking of like the punk scene of the time. It dropped originally in '82. Okay. But the show was recorded. Sure, still '77, wasn't it? Wasn't it earlier than the this one? The uh, one. I would guess that it's earlier, but it has. Several adventure cuts. I just wonder if we can draw a comparison between them taking their structured album sound live and then punking the shit out of it to like Costello with My Aim is True and then his Elma Combo show, which is like balls to the wall punk, basically. Like play as fast as you can and spit the words as quick as you can. Because they were all part of that first punk scene of the late 70s. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Costello's well, an outlier, let's be honest, but so is television in a way. In a way, but still television could fit right in in that CBGBs. They did. I mean, you they know. were they played a lot of shows at yeah. CBGBs. And, you know, Blondie and... Were the Damned um, part of that as well? Did they play at all through there? Yes, and no. I mean, the yeah. Damned were when you... I mean, Dead Boys are CBGBs. Yeah, Dead yeah. Boys were definitely... Which Dead Boys were... And you know they're a Cleveland band. They yeah. were an Ohio transplant for the CBGB scene, but the Stiff Records guys were kind of their own thing, though, weren't they? Because they were all British, weren't they? Yeah, the Damned they were British too, right? They yeah, were. I'm not yep. crazy. Uh, you know, so it's like they're coming over, and just the scenes were very different. But the thing is, it's like you know, I just said earlier, for me, Numero Uno punk band was the Clash. Yeah, I was introduced to punk in a really sincere way outside of like a hot topic punk when I was a kid, you know, like that was my introduction to sincere, legitimate punk music. That's an interesting point about how we've all been. I wonder if the ways we were all introduced into punk makes a difference with how much we like television. Probably so. Like, so you were, so the clash was your, yeah, introduction. I, I'm to, to to again like a classic and true like old school right. punk mentality. That was my introduction. However, post that, you know, there's always the just was punk an American thing or was it a British thing? Well, that's a whole nother. Yeah. That's a can of worms. <laughs> and yeah. like I do, I've asked you this before. Does modern vinyl? Do people? Was there like a comment section? Like there later when this is online, section, yeah. can I go read people? Uh, talk bad about me in the comments. I want to read it. I like, I I don't have enough of that in my life. My ego needs it. Talk bad about me. My opinions. All right. So we know, we know how you were introduced to punk through the clash. 
but punk is American. Okay. And how, Matt, how did, I've never heard the story of how you came into punk. Like, where did you first come into it? Well, and see, it's like, I don't know, it's different time period. There was no Hot Topic or anything like that. For me, it was like New York Dolls. But there was MTV at the time. Yeah, but you couldn't, there wasn't a lot of punk being played unless it was 120 minutes. So maybe that was your bridge into the punk scene? I guess. Because growing up, you would have been inundated with hair metal, Kiss, things like that. Yeah, Kiss was the beginning of it. Like it was all big, masculine rock and roll music kind of for you in the time period you were growing up. Yeah. So I wonder how you got to television. Like how did you... Uh, Well, it was on a mix to add See No Evil was the first track. You know, I had this crazy-ass mixtape that... uh, a friend of mine made for me that had that grateful dead were on it. Um, the Mekons were on it. Jesus. Um, in our BQ was, it was, uh, it was grimy. Oh, okay. Who really? made Mike? it for me. Yeah. 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 Mike. Yeah. Shout out the Grimies. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And that was on there and I was like, you know, I knew half the bands and then the other half I didn't know. Yeah. And it's like, shit. What? Um, Husker Du, Standing in the Rain. Oh, yeah. yeah. Standing in the Rain was on there. Yeah, you need to give him a hug for that mixtape. That's, that's a pretty big mixtape. Yeah, to oh, give it's someone. crazy. Yeah, I've still got it somewhere. And the Pretenders were on there. The Wait. Yeah, funny. you know, you know Pretenders are really they're interesting. They're punk as hell. Yeah, the, their early shit was new wave punk, man. Yeah. So I guess a lot, it seems like a lot of my story center around watching PBS documentaries for some reason because I didn't have cable for the longest time growing up. So KET was my outlet to the rest yeah. of the world. Austin City Limits and like Soundstage were all I had to right. to get out to the rest of the world, which got me watching David Byrne and Morphine at an early age, which is really interesting. That's a whole other topic. But yeah. there was a documentary, and we've talked about it, called The History of Rock and Roll. Oh, what a... That... Have you watched that? It came out in the early 90s, I believe. Late 80s, early 90s. The big, massive VHS set. Okay, a VHS set. I had something similar that was like six CDs and two DVDs. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this was a large, sprawling set. You need to watch it. It's great stuff. I didn't get to record all of it. Like, you know, I used to pop in the VHS and try to record it. I didn't get all of it, but I did get the whole punk episode. And that's great stuff. And And like... My, you know, 11-year-old brain really couldn't take it all in. But I remember seeing, like, Clash, like, yeah, it's awesome. You know, whoever is yeah, great. Dead Boys, whoever is great. And then when television came, I was like, what is this? Because they were showing them playing on stage, playing Marky Moon, and they're all focused on, like, mm-hmm. playing yeah. this really intricate shit. And I was like, how did... Because they only had a tiny segment on television. That was one big problem was I don't think they do it as much anymore but early on, television never got their due in the punk Mm-mm. scene. No. Because they were too different for which, the punk scene. Which I think is the, first and foremost, what makes it appealing to record collectors. Oh, uh, for sure. You yeah. know, it's like, that's just part of it. Big Star is an amazing band. They're one of my favorite bands. But I know the reason that Big Star is one of, like, the reason that Big Star was introduced to me the way that it was is because they never got their due. Yeah. The reason why people feel conflicted about 
Pixies now is because much after the fact, Pixies earned their due and probably a fair hefty amount over their due. Well, we can all thank Kurt Cobain for that because he used them as a reference anytime somebody asked him. Well, I think you can... as well as uh, R.E.M., I think Michael Stipe used to talk about the Pixies. I, yeah. I think it has way less to do with other musicians and way more to do with that douchebag that made Fight Club. Uh, David Fincher? Fincher? Fincher's a tool. He's such a tool. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Uh, I don't know. I'm the only... Whatever. Anyway, that movie... Fucking... It, it, it just caught me off guard. I, didn't I know, it. right? I didn't see uh, it coming. He makes good movies. Don't get me wrong. I just like I've got a bitter thing in in about that movie in particular, and the way that it changed the mentality not only about that band but about a a lot of things. Anyway, the Pixies, after years and years and years of being That's this interesting, band, I wonder if if it's just because like Fight Club came out at a certain time in your life. Like probably Pixies so. to me became on my radar at the same time Fugazi did was because Kurt Cobain used to pimp the shit out of him when somebody would ask him and, about how he got his sound. And again, I was born in 1991, right. so I was born <laughs> after the first Nirvana record. And then so Matt, it's like I heard Pixies when fucking when Surfer they, Rosa came out. Like when they that came was, out, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and everybody was like, "Man, this Pixie Pixies album is great." Yeah, there are no replacements. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's and, always but that you know, just something. me. Yeah, but the, the replacements are kind of the same way, and it's like I honestly do believe that on like a subconscious level, as a fan, like that stuff really matters. And my example for that could be like Radiohead. When Radiohead's last album was King of Limbs, mm-hmm. my opinion of Radiohead was different than it is now. Radiohead released a Moonshape Pool. I really like that record as a Radiohead fan, and it makes me go like, oh, man. Cool, they're back. Yeah. And I can, again, feel like they are a legitimate band, and I can remember all the reasons why I love them. But having that like bad stain on their track record as far as i was concerned as a fan like on pixies are we talking about uh, no on radiohead on radiohead okay makes it like it it complicates my ability to digest all of the rest of it for better or worse like there's plenty of people out there i'm sure that would be like that's a superficial way of taking in music but i think that stuff matters yeah and i think the way that people hyped bands like the pixies at a time when they were getting little to no recognition is different than post fight club. I think that we also, it is, I don't think we understand how, I mean, the Pixies got a lot of response in the eighties when they came out. Like they, they weren't a underground band by any stretch. I mean, would you No. no, everybody knew who the Pixies were. Yeah. Like surfer Rosa and the other one, I can't think of that. Uh, do little. They yeah, were do all those over two 120 were, minutes. There's the other one too, but I can't think of the name mm, of it. Big time. Um, Trump Dumont. That's the other one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trump Lamont. Trump Lamont. There we go. Um, sorry, my French is a little weak, but the um, I think the Pixies were they were a big band in in the 80s. Like they weren't they weren't as underground as maybe television was in the 70s. Probably not. I don't think television ever got the same due that the Pixies no. did. But you know, it was interesting. You said that, like, with a band having a bad album as a stain, 
for television, you know, they only got three albums. Mm-hmm. And the third one, does it count? I don't do know. We... They... I mean, I don't count the last big star record either. Oh, so. yeah. 